Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny, sunny, sunny Santa, Santa Cruz, Cruz California. Yes, yes, the rain is slowly ending. I am oh, tired of having a wet bum when I get to work, Emma. It, <laughs> you is, know, it is back to being nice. It's a very shapely bum, though. <laughs> Not Even, when it's wet. No, it is. It doesn't get <laughs> soggy or anything. Uh, All right, if you're done talking about your soggy bottom. Hey, <laughs> tonight... I'm not done talking about mine. Tonight in the garage, <laughs> you have me. This is Liza, and my bottom is not soggy. Yes, it is. <laughs> Get out of my bottom, Jim. Uh, we, we have to start this whole thing over, aren't we? <laughs> Next up in the garage, we've got Electric Terry. Go electric, ride with your puppy. ride with your puppy and 288 beer bottles (laughs) (laughs) true story well it's the recycle garage (laughs) (laughs) nice and then on the pretty girl couch tonight we've got miss emma oh darlings and you know i'm so happy to be sitting next to terry because if you haven't seen his picture he looks just like a viking he is exactly as you would expect a Viking to look. He's got all this blonde hair and See, I, d- I don't imagine that a Viking would look uh, scared around you, but he does. Well, no, it's, it's, that's his natural expression, darling. <laughs> <laughs> he's a berserker. Also, I have never seen a Viking with glasses. <laughs> well, no, but he's a modern-day Viking, true. They're, he's they're, a modern-day Viking. They're blood shields to keep the blood from his enemies <laughs> from flashing into his eyes. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Also on the Pretty Girl Couch tonight, we've got Naked Jim. Uh, Naked Jim, fully clothed. But I will juxtapose the picture of Terry. As we were riding back from the west side, uh, Liza, Emma, and I, Liza on the the 150 scooter, Emma on the 250 scooter. Riding side saddle. There was a picture of Emma in my head or in front of me of her in white sandals (laughs) riding side saddle on this 250 Honda Elite scooter, hair fluttering on this helmet that barely fit on her head. Anyway, well, I didn't expect to be doing any riding today. It's not my fault. Mm. It's springtime. You can't pretty, help it. It's pretty clothes time. I realize now that all y'all have uh, two names. We got Electric Terry, Miss Emma, Naked Jim. I, I don't know. We'll have to come up with something for me. I thought you were Spice Liza. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, it. you're that's a Spicy right. Liza. Hey, let's get to what we're going to talk about Poss- yeah. possum today. Because if you heard another voice creeping in, we have a guest. Now, um... Normally, we have our guests here in the garage, but we've been expanding out because we can't always get somebody to come here to our garage, but we're we're prepared to go out into the world because there are some people that's worth it. They have a really great story, mm-hmm. and we want to include them. Plus, I, I feel like there's other misfits out there who are, who are part of what we do, you know, even remotely. But I wanted to introduce, um, on the phone with us, we have now Truy. Hanul. Did I say it right, Truy? Absolutely, Yay. yes. So Truy is, well, she's Electro Girl. It's I, I just picture her riding around with a cape on, with a big E on it. Uh, and, yeah. and like a bolt of electricity. Like yeah. shooting out her oh. fingertips, dude. And exactly. Like, like orbiting like Saturn or something no, like that. No, she is a uh, superhero. Next, next to Silver Surfer. <laughs> 
I got it all in my head right now. Electro Girl and Electric Terry. I can see the comic you know, book now. <laughs> this it's still, a total comic book. We'll this, be going around trying to save gasoline from coming out of the pumps. No, don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, I'd like to talk about the Silver Surfer just for a second. He was very misunderstood. I always dug him. But he's a, he's a very troubled soul, the Silver Surfer, much like us. Okay, thank you for that moment. <laughs> That's um, okay. So, Chewy, Chewy has done some really cool things. And if it wasn't a tip-off by the name Electro Girl, she rides electric. But you know what? She's got a whole life and achievements right. before that. And we're going to cover it all because she is a biker through and through. She is a biker down to her bootlaces. Not Legit. just a biker. She's a badass. Badass. Right. A badass chick. So, um, yeah, Truy has, you've traveled around the world. You're a traveler. Um, you're an artist. There's so many things you've done. So, let's, we're going to start with, um, you know, how you got into biking. I'm going to let Emma take this over. She wants to, she wants to get all the way down to your soul. So, get ready. Okay. So, um, Truy. Yes. You have been messing about with motorbikes since yes. 1991 92 uh yeah that's pretty clear i, I think 1993 if i'm if okay I so well, you know what let's round it up you've been playing around with bikes for 25 years i have yeah fantastic and mm -hmm. over your riding career you've you, i mean you're riding electric right now, and we're going to come to that. But I want to talk about some of the bikes maybe you own right now or you've ridden in the past. Mm -hmm. The monumental bikes. What was your first bike? Uh, my very first bike was a Honda CB404. That's oh, a great wow. bike. Super, super sport? Yep. Super sport. They only made those for like three oh, years, man. didn't they? Yes. The yeah. 75, 76, 77. They're great yeah. bikes. 1976 it was, a red one. Red, white, and blue paint yeah, job? Yeah. Almost, yep. yeah. Yeah. And it was absolutely marvelous as a first bike. It had a Kickstarter and an electric starter, and I just chose the way I wanted to pose whether I used one or the other, mm -hmm. and and I, I absolutely loved it from to bits. For well, let's say I I just love the way legendary bikes look, and that's a bit like the red thread going through all my bikes. I've somehow I've always gone back to the root of the the motorcycles that right. I own. Yeah, and that's I a cool. I'm sorry, that's one of the coolest first bikes that I've heard. Oh, right, that because anyway, well, isn't done. it just? But I understand completely because there's an attraction to a design, and when you consider the design of the 404, it is. It's it's an absolutely timeless classic. And had that cool exhaust, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was it was a masterpiece. It really was. So, how long were you on the 404? Uh, actually, for one year only. Because oh, what happened? <laughs> because uh -oh. it sort of it sort of became um, very quickly. Uh, I, it became too small for me. Right. In a way that it didn't have enough power, and I'm I love speed. Right. And so, and I love traveling as well. Much before that, and so I sort of. Stepped 
I wouldn't say up, but I stepped forward to uh, a BMW or ATG slash S okay. Paris Dakar. <laughs> wow. So, also, the the very, very grandmother of grandmothers of all the contemporary GSs. That is that, Genesis. That, it is. It is. And that was the bike. I still own it now. That's my main bike now. Oh, wow. Cool. And, and I, just, I, I just wanted to travel. And so the CB was still there, and I was riding it once in a while. But it was standing uh, still most of the time, mm -hmm. so I just... I just couldn't see a motorcycle standing still. I mean, it has, motorcycles for me, they have to ride. I don't have space in my living room to, to put them up on the ceiling and just right. watch them. So I sold it to somebody. I was very, very careful to, uh, to whom I sold it. And so I found this one girl, and she was absolutely fond of it. And so I sold it to her, and I was, like, heartbroken at the same time. But I also loved that she was taking it over next. Can I go back a little bit further? And I've asked guests this question before. Right. Let's go back to when you were a child. Right. And... Was there, what were your aspirations as a child? I mean, was there any attraction to motorcycle? If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you actually got into bikes? How old were you when you not necessarily started riding them, but started admiring them? Oh, very, very soon, as soon as I laid my eye on motorcycles. So it was love at first sight, even as a child. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're a bicycling country. Oh, and sure. So I've been I've been bicycling all, I mean, just maybe at the same time that I could walk. And my dad used to, he didn't make any difference between boys and girls. And he just made us repairing our own bicycles from as soon as we could. But then, you know, a bicycle, I mean, yeah, you have to ride it, you have to push it and so on. And so as soon as I was old enough, I was, I think, 15 or 16, then was the era of the Honda Dax. It was coming out, I think, in the middle of the 70s or something. And I was 16, and I was absolutely smitten to that design and how it looked like, and it was cool, and it was like, yeah, it was it was a hipster thing of that time. Oh, sure. It's, I'm oh, looking at a, a picture right now. It's like a Trail 70 yeah, it looks kind like, of thing. Yeah, it's just like a Trail 70 here. It's, it, and it looks really cool today, no, it, too. No, it, it's the same bike it just went by a different name in europe but it's the dax platform yeah that was the my first bike right oh and, really okay and it had gears sure. and i mean it was like semi-automatic or something i can't right. remember Three i've never written one actually yeah. so what happened next was i um i took it uh, like a student job or or yeah, something I could get at that time. And I gathered the money for it without telling my parents that I was doing <laughs> And then finally I came home and I had gathered, I had saved enough money and I told them I wanted to buy a Honda Dax. And my parents were, I mean, this was the first time they said a clear no. 
and I was I was stunned because we were allowed so many things. We right. could give parties at our place. We could invite friends over to sleep and whatnot. We could do so many things. We could go out and just say we're coming home at five o'clock at night, and and they were fine with that. And when I came home with this idea, they just said no. And I haven't talked for three weeks, if I can recall well. And I just, I, I, I was, I was angry. I was really, really frustrated and very angry. And I just couldn't understand. And coming now, being much older, I now quite understand why. I mean, it's just motorcycling. Uh, turn it around or not. I mean, it's a dangerous thing to do. And if you have a 16-year-old going out with her friends on a motorcycle, I mean, of course, you're worried sick as a parent. So I now understand, but still, I just missed out about, mm, I would say, some 20 years of motorcycling because of that. Okay. Because, of, of course, when I turned 18 or 19, I, I was like in, in, in dubio whether I would buy a motorcycle or a car and when you're when you're that age you want to take along friends you want to you want to carry things and so a car was like a very old car second hand of i don't know third fifth or sixth hand car and that was the thing i bought and i couldn't afford to have the two of them okay but obviously there was something in the back of your head that kept going with motorcycles because I'm guessing in your in your 30s you're obviously a very independent woman you don't need your parents permission for anything you go out and mm -hmm. buy yourself this 404 which is what an inspired choice um, so now we can go back so I found out where the whole thing started with your bikes um, so where were we up to we were up to the GS, the BMW. Yeah. So what did you do with the GS? I, I'm guessing you did more long distance work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after after the, the Honda 4 and that I yeah, had to sell, um, I came to the GS and that was actually because I had two friends who were really, really into traveling. And I had been, I, I was into traveling as well. I've been hitchhiking all over Europe. I've been going on trips that like, took like two or three months. I was in India, I was in Southeast Asia, just backpacking. So these, all of a sudden, the two things started to come together. I mean, my traveling, my, my, yeah, my curious soul and the motorcycling all of a sudden started meeting up and it was a logical, a logical meeting. And so the next thing was that with these two friends, all of a sudden they invited me to come to Tunisia on a journey with them on the GS. And so that's what we did. And this this was my first uh, adventure into some uh, non-European countries on a motorcycle. So I'm curious, Trui, is... Um you know, I know your parents didn't want you on a motorcycle, and I can understand that. I have a, a daughter who's now 18 who started wanting to ride when she was 13 or 14. Um, 
but you know, where did this adventurous spirit come from? I mean, I, I, I'm, you sound like you were motivated as a kid. You know, did your parents inspire you to, to travel, or did you, did you travel at a young age, or did you just feel this need to, to travel? How did that kind of come about? Um, actually, my parents were, they were not true adventurers, but we were, as kids, we went to then Yugoslavia with with a caravan. So we went outside of what 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 was then Western Europe. And so I had a bit of a taste. That was the first thing. But that, that was just a little. But then came my 18th birthday. And all of a sudden, I was I finished high school. And all of a sudden, my dad came with a tiny um, uh, advertising in a in a newspaper about uh, being one year abroad as an exchange uh, student, and he thought that would be something for me, and I jumped on the occasion, and so that's what I did. I went abroad for one year after uh, yeah between uh, eighteen and nineteen or something. And I went to, I chose Finland, don't ask why, I would never choose that again, because <laughs> Finland is nice, but I had, <laughs> I had other options, and I didn't take them. I, don't, I really can't recall why I chose Finland. Anyhow, I ended up in Finland for one year, and this was, this was the first experience of being away from anything that I knew, from my friends, from my family, and truly being cut off for one year, because, I mean, internet wasn't there, we were, uh, telephone calls were very expensive, and we were writing letters. I mean, you write a letter, it takes two weeks to arrive, then another two weeks for the answer to arrive, that was the communication. And this was the very first experience for me and it was a life-changing experience. Ever since then, I just wanted to meet, to go out. I was, my curiosity was tackled, was 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 just getting larger and larger and, and wanting to meet people, wanting to be in foreign countries and wanting to, to talk to people of different cultures. And that has stayed with me and got, yeah, got, got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And boy, have you traveled and done what you just said. It's amazing the adventures you've been on. So maybe we can talk a little bit now, um, you know, about some of those adventures. You know, you've been across, it's hard to even summarize all the writing you've done. You know, I know it started on, you know, an epic adventure um, uh, with you and some friends or you and a friend. And then um, you went back and forth all over the place. So give, give us a brief summary of all the writing that you've done, the adventures you started. And was the first bike, uh, was that the XT500? Yes, you're right. Yeah, after after the GS, I mean, I was riding around and we were traveling a little bit, I mean, in Europe, up and down. And through one, one time, uh, I went with my then uh, girlfriend to uh, Finland through Russia. On the GS, and she was on. Let me think. I think a DR650 SE at that time. But all of a sudden, there. I mean, I. I, I was. I, I'm a traveler to the core, and 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 she was also keen on traveling. Not not as much as I was, but still. 
And all of a sudden, I came up with this idea, idea that we would do the classic overland to India. Because in 19, let me recall, 1989, I had been in India for close to three months. And I had traveled this one road from Manali to Leh, which is in Ladakh, across the Himalayas. And I had traveled then on a, uh, the top of a truck because it was it was a, uh, like a curfew time. The whole of Ladakh was closed down because of uproar in Kashmir and so on. So I had an, an incredible adventure up there, just being there, seeing the Himalayas and crossing all these high passes. And ever since, uh, since I had been there, I wanted to go back. And when I started motorcycling in the beginning of the 90s, this all of a sudden popped back into my head. And I was like having this idea coming up. Maybe I should ride this particular road from Manali to Leh on my own motorcycle. So I came home one day and told my girlfriend, shall we, this is what I would like to do. Is, is this something, I mean, would you join me? Shall we do this together? And she didn't have to think much. She just said, okay, so this means I have to learn to ride a motorcycle, which she didn't at that time, and you will take a motorcycle maintenance course. And this was three years before we actually did the journey. So we took three years preparing for this one journey overland from Belgium to India and back. And um, that's, that's, that was the first really long journey. We took seven months. I mean, that was the idea at the start to take seven months and just start in 1999. And that's that's how it uh, how the whole idea started growing, and for almost three years solid, this was our daily conversation, and we were just preparing mentally and also the the motorcycles. Then we got advice from people, and one advisor was a Dutch guy, and he just we just talked about bikes because I wanted to have two. Uh, exactly the same bikes to make maintenance much more easier and 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 to get to know these motorcycles and he advised us to take xt 500s and and that was a bad advice well you had already had the taste of electric start by this time correct um how do you mean on the honda without having to kick start an electric start Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, XT five hundreds—they're they're just like the most sturdy bikes that you can imagine, and some races have been ridden on them. And so this this one guy, he said, I mean, this cannot break down. I mean, they can repair it anywhere with a screw a screwdriver. And so I took this advice, and I thought, well, okay, let's abandon the electric starter and just go to kickstarting. But then that was a bad idea. I mean, it just came, it's all very, I mean, if the, if the bike is really well, well set up and so on, everything is fine and everything works. But that's in Europe and on tarmac. I mean, I'm not so tall. And my, my girlfriend wasn't so tall, tall either. And so we had to sort of like be on the, on the foot pegs to be able to kick the bikes. This, this implicates that if you're standing in sand, forget the side, side stand. If you're on a steep hill, 
I mean, forget the side stand. If it's 45 degrees Celsius, I mean, forget it. I mean, you're just going to kick and kick and kick. And so it, it was just a bad choice. I love the bikes. I love how they look like. But I, I would say to anyone, anyone who's not like two meters tall or, and very, very strong, don't take a kickstart only bike. And just to give people an idea of the distance. So from Belgium to India is about one and a half times the width of the United States. Yeah. So basically going there and back is like going cross country three times. Right. It's an extraordinary journey. Yeah, that's a big, big journey. And, you know, make no mistake, um, you made this trip in 99. So yep. you were an XT500 is already old in 1999. So these are old bikes. Yes, 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 absolutely. But they were very well maintained when sure. I bought them. And and I just took them apart and put them back together. Like uh, I think one by uh, one motorcycle, I took it. Uh, I, I I opened it up like twice because I had made a tiny mistake, and then the other one I, I also opened it up completely and put it back back together. So I knew these bikes through and through. So I felt very confident in, on that side. It was just the kickstarting thing right. that was just a bad idea. I have a question for you. If money wasn't an option and you could do that trip all over again, what bikes would you take? Actually, what I did was uh, three years later, uh, we bought the R650 SEs, uh, Suzuki, to do the same oh, thing. Okay. This it was a very, very good choice. And I still have those and I have to ma maintain them and just yeah do, do, do some proper preparation. If I would like to go on a fuel bike trip again, I would definitely choose the same bikes. They're an extremely good bike. They don't get much love in America. Um, they don't in Europe either. They have been in Belgium, they imported them in I think 95 and 96 and they sold just 37 mm -hmm. and I own about four of them they're great bikes yes. well it's your job to keep them all the European ones alive this is your job <laughs> I will I will and, and don't say there's they've been produced I, th I think they're still produced in Australia yes they are and they, and they and they've been produced in the States up to do 2000 or beginning of 2000s so they are very very good bikes and in europe it's just the same people don't like them at all they're too big for trail trails and they're too small for traveling that's the idea mm -hmm. but it's not true at all i i really love the 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 total bike and the weight it's 147 kilo empty and that's that was my main concern right well, don't, don't say we don't like them here too much, Emma, because if, if you recall, Liza and I now have matching DR350s that we're about to do a couple of dual sport events on. So, yeah, we are DR fans here as well. You know, I was just reminded when I passed my neighbor's house today, I forgot Max has one, too. Oh, get out of here. Yes. Oh, my God. No, the DR350 is very, very popular, and it's a great bike. But the big ones, well, you yeah. know, it's... Um, a lot of people in America, they gravitate to the Honda, the XLs and the XRs. 
And, you know, the big DRs get no love. And the, I, they're great bikes. Yeah, but I'm about to learn Truey's lesson because I got a Kickstarter-only bike. <laughs> on the side hill. But, you know, Truey, it's funny. You, um, you know, it's a, what a killer first trip to go on. But Oh, fantastic. So after that, was your, did you know this was your calling and this was your passion that you needed to see the world on, the, on, on two wheels? Oh yeah, absolutely. Even though um, I haven't told this yet, I mean, this this first trip was cut short in Pakistan. I had an accident, and I had a travel a journey stopping accident. Um, so this journey, after about two and a half months, was stopped uh, one day, and that was it. And I ended up in hospital, and my leg was uh, totally broken. My foot was uh, I almost lost my foot my right so but even this didn't stop me from from wanting to travel uh, even 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 better I mean we just ended up in in hospital and we um, immediately started talking about either continuing the journey after my recovery like like I in the beginning I had this this idea which was totally wrong uh, in the end but I thought maybe in a month, if I stay a month here and I recover and 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 I do everything like it should be done, then we just continue the journey. And very soon, I think even after half a day, it was clear that I would have to recover for many months on end. And it would just take much more time than I originally thought. And But still then, after the first shock and we were everything was getting getting done like it, it should have been done then we started already talking about when we were coming back and three years later we did the same journey and then we succeeded all the way up. now that is real biker shit oh yeah absolutely <laughs> you know so I, I I read a little bit about that accident, which sounded brutal, but it, it seemed like there may have been a bit of a, a bit of a silver lining in the sense that it gave you a chance to hang out in Pakistan for a little while, get to meet some people, understand the culture a little bit. Can you talk about some of the, you know, the, the good things maybe that came out of that that accident? Yeah, it was. It was absolutely. This is. This is. I mean, of course, an accident is is something you don't wish anyone, and you always think that's not going to happen to you, but it did. And what happened next was we met so many great people, and we got to know the Pakistani culture from much more within than we would have if we would have just traveled through. And I ended up in in the end after some stories, and because this was this happened in a tiny village in a, in the middle of a desert stretch, and we were transported that same evening, 500 kilometers in a in an ambulance to the capital, and I ended up in an in a small hospital with a, an incredibly friendly and an incredibly capable surgeon. And I'm still in touch with him now, and he can't wait for us, for us to come back. So every now and then he shows up on chat. When are you coming? When are you coming? But anyhow, so uh, he treated us very, very well. And we had this one room in this uh, hospital, and it was the only room with a television. And what happened was uh, we happened to be there at the final stages of the world championship cricket 
And there were on the television, there were two channels. We had a religious channel and the world championship. That was the choice. That's a hard choice right there. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, and it was I the best cricket know. you ever saw. It, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't have a clue about cricket, and I, I just, I, I had no, we had no idea. So what happened was that because it was Pakistan was in the last round together with some like uh, enemy India and and some like like six countries or something. So what happened was all the nurses and all the doctors they passed very often in our room, and just had a chat and stayed and stayed and watched the game and so we had a full house most of the time and that was absolutely wonderful because I mean it was like a, a double thing I mean in one way of course our room was always invaded but then people talked about about life in Pakistan about cricket very often they explained it every single detail so by the by the end of the three three weeks stay in hospital we were close to experts in cricket <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you. You know, I you hear about a lot of these moto travelers and, you know, you envy their lives. And I just have to ask, how do you afford to do it? That's a very good question. And I, I uh, people ask it very often. I mean, very often people envy this this kind of liberty or this kind of adventure and then at the same time they don't realize how uh, what the drawbacks are I mean I don't have a lot of I mean I have very little savings for a starter but uh, for these particular uh, journeys we had a system in Belgium at that time which now stopped but in Belgium at that time you could take a leave from your job for six months and get some, uh, I think, 300 euros a month because they had to, in this company, they had to employ uh, an unemployed person for that time. So it was a measure, like, like a, um, a law or something to introduce people who had been uh, without a job for a long time again to a working situation. So it was like a win-win thing. So you went on leave and an unemployed person took your place for six months. So and why why isn't everyone in Belgium a moto traveler then? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> many people traveled at that time, uh, not not on necessarily on motorcycles, but many people took this this occasion to do either a sabbatical of a half a year or um, stay with the kids or go on journeys. But now I think it's five years ago they stopped these laws because too many people were traveling. <laughs> people were having too much fun, darn it. Absolutely, absolutely. And they even gave it a nickname like the travel, I don't know, the travel fee or something. And they got so much opposition for oh. that because so many people were taking it effectively for a journey. Sorry, I'm sorry, Troy. I just have to jump in real quick. Oh my God! I'm sorry. Charger has to go back outside. Charger, Charger came in. She must have rolled in something. Oh my God! Sorry, I think Charger was just eating cat shit oh, and rolled and in it. It's just, all on the side of her face. She just came in the garage and licked Emma's toes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! Sorry, I didn't but, want you to think we're laughing. Hey, Terry, give me. Some, I gotta shoot some starter fluid up my nose for the rest of the podcast. Something. Give me some white lithium grease. I don't know. Oh, oh. 
That oh, is oh. a terrible smell. Oh, my right. God. I'm just going to embrace and, it. And, Truy, to Emma's credit, she didn't want to disrupt you while you're talking. She sat there and let the dog lick her toes and didn't move. Mm. Oh. This will be edited out, obviously. But no, no. <laughs> that's oh my that's staying in. Oh, good uh, Lord. Sorry about that. That That is a misfit interruption right there. Yeah. Well, now that she's not moving around, it's not stirring up the air you so know, much. Is, are you guys okay with that? I think it's great. Yeah, I love it. Now no, it's, it's Emma's feet that smell. <laughs> no, my feet do not smell. <laughs> Sorry, let's continue. Oh. <laughs> so, um, Truy, so you gained this huge insight into the culture in Pakistan via your hospital bed. Yes. How long did it take you to get back on a bike? So you, you, um, you come back from the- Pakistan and you've been hospitalized... So you're back yes. in Belgium. How long was it before you got back on a bike, and what did you choose? Because I'm guessing that the XT500 was totaled, wasn't it? No, not at all. It was fine. It had nothing. I mean, I, I was all screwed up, and the bike was just riding as it was before. So, right. so you got to tell us what the accident was. Yeah, well, the accident was actually, and this this was what also got me uh, easily back on a bike because it wasn't really my fault and I think if you're making I, I'm not sure because I, 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 I touch wood and I, I, I never had it happen but if you're the one making a mistake and you're screwing up and having an accident just by yourself or by something that you did wrong I think it takes longer and your your self-assurance get touched so much and this wasn't the case. I mean, we were riding across a village and the there was some kind of a factory coming out at that time. It was sort of like three o'clock in the afternoon or something. And I I was we were riding slowly, like 40, 50 kilometers an hour and just exiting the village. And all of a sudden there was this pedestrian coming from my left side and jumping across the street to somebody who was waiting on a bicycle. And he was jumping right in front of my wheel, and I didn't, I didn't even have time to brake or to horn or whatever. He was just all of a sudden he was there, and I hit the man square, and the the motorcycle sort of um, turned around like like ninety degrees and toppled over on my leg. Oh. And the whole weight was just like the the frame of the motorcycle crashed my leg, and that was that was the thing. So the the bike didn't get crashed at all. Okay. And the, and the man he he just he was sitting on on that's what I recall myself. He was sitting on on the tarmac just holding his shoulder, but he wasn't really run over or he wasn't damaged as badly as I was, <laughs> and and. Yeah. So, um, you so you you have the travel bug and you have the biker bug. A good common combination. It, it they go well is. together. I want to see. Have we covered all your bikes? I want to know every bike you've ever had. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great question, isn't it? 
it is, it is. So the XT500s, uh, uh, yeah, were abandoned. I mean, not abandoned, were sold again, actually to the to the first owner that I bought them from, because he wanted, desperately, he wanted them back, uh, one, one of the, the motorcycles. And the other two went to Holland to somebody who wanted to travel on them as well, as they were travel ready, actually. Okay. So okay. Um, I sold those, and uh, the BMW was still there. And then we started looking for the next travel bike, which were the DR650 SEs. Okay, all right. That's and, a good bike. And, and, and that was, I mean, that's that's the bikes I've owned because I, I can't afford it anymore. I would, I, I definitely would have a race bike. I would like a trials bike. I would like uh, a mountain, an electric mountain bike. I would like... Uh, I don't know uh, Ducati. Um, there's a few I would love to have, or a KTM. I've ridden a KTM Adventure, a new one in Finland. Mm, one, right? Uh, no, one day, two weeks. But so I, I, I love lots of different bikes and lot. I mean, I think as a as a motorcycler, but you all know that right. there's. A day for this type of bike and another day for another type of bike so actually you need at least four or five motorcycles to choose from not, however, not for, however not for you me. feel in the morning you know <laughs> so where you've obviously you've graduated to electric bikes so this is how you got your name but we're just gonna stay with the gasoline bikes for now there well, is it doesn't have to be restricted to gasoline no that's true because your answer could be anything. But there is a question that we ask all our guests. And your English is perfect. But the inflection may be... I'm going to try and explain it to you. The question is, what is your up-the-butt bike? And to put that into plain English, what bike would you... Money no object. Just... Um, availability no object if you had all the money in the world and you had access to any motorcycle in the world what motorcycle would you do extremely bad things to get a hold of whoa I, whoa that's a good question and, and just to explain where the butt thing comes in it's the same we have when you when you see like a bike that you lost after and you go oh man i'd take it up the butt for that that's an up the butt bike which one any bike that you look at and you say, oh, I'd take it up the butt for that. So that that's oh. our saying. It's extremely so. rude, Truy, and I was trying to avoid. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that, but the, the, the idea is the same. What is the bike, perhaps, that you covet above all else? And, of course, knowing your current history, yeah, sure, that could be an electric bike. Ah, that's a hard question. I should, I, you, you know, because I can't afford them, I just tend not to look at them and not to go to fairs anymore because I'm so, I'm, I'm in love with so many bikes. And it I could, just, I, it's so frustrating just not being able to afford it, them. It could be a specific bike from history. Right. So I have the bike. I know which one. It's the Rolls-Royce of motorcycles hand built in England. Yes. In, in the 1930s, if I'm not wrong. Yes. And that, that's the Bruff Superior. What a great choice. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
yeah. the choice cool of really Lawrence cool. of Arabia. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And I've been to his house. I've visited his his surroundings, and I've been there for a long time, and and back again another time. And I just these bikes are just. I mean, it's just taking your breath away. Exquisite it, is a word I would use. They're, they're breathtaking if you've never seen one in the flesh. Absolutely, absolutely. So if if money is no option, I, I think money should be an option because I think they, they're sold by Sotheby's now uh, right. once in a while. I think there's six or something still riding. But they're, they're fabulously. I can't afford one either. And, you know... Um, I got, I got um, slightly in a small argument with a listener because he was saying he about this bike he loved, which was an extremely expensive bike. And I said, well, it does nothing for me, which kind of offended him. But you'll relate to this. I can't relate to anything really I can't afford. And this was a $40,000 bike, and I can never afford something like that. So to me, right. the great bikes are the ones that I can afford. So I understand your your thinking. but that, That's why Emma would take it up the butt for a DAX 70. Yeah, I would. But what a great choice of Bruff Superior. I think you're the first one. And it, it's funny, there's... And, and there's so much more writing that you've done. I mean, you've been through Pakistan a number of times. You've been through Iran. And there's a lot of rich history there. But, you know, a lot of that you can find online because um, you're famous, you know, at least. <laughs> um, but it has. But but the stories you can tell just from that. My, one of my favorites is the swim, swinging rope, rope bridge. And maybe we'll have another chance to talk about that. But I think what a lot of us are looking forward to is the stuff you're, you're, you're doing now. And because you're into a lot of really cool stuff. Stuff. And that's where it absolutely leaves mine and Emma's realm to a certain extent, but rolls right into our man, Electric Terry's. Yeah, so true. I was going to ask you, I mean, you've done some great trips, you know, on, on the different bikes. What what made you decide you wanted to try to see if you could get a hold of a Zero? I mean, uh, like, first of all, how did you hear about electric motorcycles? Because lots of people out there still don't even today. And then uh, what made you feel like you want to take a trip on that? Right. Okay, that's many questions in one. Okay. <laughs> Let's just start with how did electric bikes become on your radar? Yeah. Well, it it almost literally did. I mean, I'm I'm normally uh, banner blind. I mean, I really have there's a side of my eyes that just doesn't work on the internet, and somehow, I'm apparently not totally banner blind. Somehow, all of a sudden there was this tiny advertising of zero motorcycles and saying something like, take a test ride on an electric motorcycle. And since I'm always curious what's going, I'm I'm always keeping an, an eye on the motorcycle business and what new bikes come out and so on, even though I can't afford them. But all of a sudden there was this ad, tiny advertisement and I did click for like the first time ever I clicked on an advertising. How long ago was and, that? Do you remember? Uh, beginning of 2015. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> So I clicked and then it said, please take a test ride and here's the contact and so on. So I, I ended up in this dealership 
and uh, zero itself themselves they had said yeah you can take a ride for half an hour and i was like what half an hour how how can i even touch something get it get it get a feeling of something for half an hour so i called to this dealership and i negotiated with them and this guy was really cool and he said now now i mean this is this is the official policy but i mean you come here we have four types of zero motorcycles you come over you can try them all morning please please come so we made an appointment and i took my uh, ex-girlfriend uh, girlfriend along because it's always more fun to do that with, with two, two people. And so we were driving there actually in a car and we were talking about it. And I'm like, ah, what do you expect? And ah, you know, a greenish, you know, one of these eco things. And but <laughs> let's see. I mean, we just had no very, very little expectations. We just thought this would be something, yeah, a little bit like an electric scooter, this, this idea. And then we ended up at this dealership, we got the keys, and this guy was really cool. He said, oh, yeah, here you go, these are the keys, just take off. Up. And off we went. Uh, I'm not sure which one I tried first, but we tried all four, like the SR, the DS, the S, and the um, FX. And we, from the first few meters, we were both absolutely stunned by its sheer power, by the torque. And uh, we, just, we just couldn't believe it. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, can you relate to that, Terry? Oh, yeah. That's That was the biggest you know selling point for me. I got on that thing, and it's like, wow, this is like m more pull than my R1 had by a ton, you know, without doing too much. Like, I wasn't having to rev the throttle and dump the clutch at a stoplight to accelerate quick. You just kind of twist it, and it shoots off like a rocket ship. I loved it. Now, <clears throat> I have a question for you. How prominent are electric over in Europe? Because, you know, as we always tell everyone, we're here at ground zero, so we've been seeing them around for years and, and are aware. But how, how widely accepted are electric uh, vehicles over in Europe? Uh, electric vehicles as in general like like uh, the tesla has been around for quite a few years and the rich people can afford them and you see them in in some stretches of the country like around the big cities you see them quite often well not very often but you you see them also electric bicycles have taken an incredible boom a lot of people are commuting on electric bicycles especially since many of the old cities you can't uh, you can't travel through them anymore on a, in a car and you have parking issues so many people buy electric bicycles so these two are covered and and are like the, the bicycles are really booming every year they sort of triple their their revenues but electric motorcycles i had never ever seen one i, d I didn't know even they existed and still now, I mean, when I see one, I just, I, I sort of like jump on the road and make them stop because they're so rare. So in 2015, when you saw that ad, you went to go test ride and was there a, a dealership already in Belgium? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, there, there's two, I think there's three in Belgium. Three dealers? And, oh, wow. Yeah, three dealerships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's one in Bruges, one in Antwerp, and the one in Bruges was the one that, that we went to. 
and this guy was also he's he's actually it's a company in solar panels and this motorcycle selling zeros is like like a hobby like a side project for him it's very tiny so it doesn't even matter how much he sells he's just taking it because he likes motorcycling and he likes to be he has a tesla as well and he's he's into solar and into electrics and also building he's changing like ulms you know these flying i don't know how you call them in america like one person in a flying object oh ultralights yeah ultralights yeah he's converting them to electrics as well so he's a builder himself and and so he was the one that was just all he saw us coming back after after this one morning and we were just all smiles it was just not fitting it was pushing against the rims of our helmet and this was so funny because we we just we we were just yeah flabbergasted so truly after you took these uh these test rides what made you what made you eventually say hey I want to take a long distance trip on something that only has like a 60 mile range and then takes 10 hours to charge. Where, where did that cross your mind as being a great idea? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. You know, you know, because, because I was, there was one thing that triggered um, my mind when we returned to the dealership and he was saying like, this bike has no main, maintenance. And I was like, wait a minute what what do you mean no maintenance and he said no because there is no fuels inside there's no liquids there's no valves there's no spark plugs there's no gears i mean there's the tires the fuel the 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 brake fluid and the lamps that's basically it and then the battery and and the software of course when that goes wrong you're in deep trouble but i mean there's basically no maintenance so immediately i made the connection like with traveling can you imagine traveling without or almost no maintenance this was was crossed my mind so that, that was the selling point for you taking a long trip you're like here's something that all i basically have to do is plug it in and and there's no oil changes, no chain anything. So how long was it from the time that that idea crossed your head till the time that you were able to somehow get a, z- a zero, it was a white 2015 zero DS, correct? Yeah, correct, correct. So how? Yeah. tell me about that process and how you got eventually got a bike. Um, I, even on the, on the way back from Bruges, uh, we were just talking nonstop on, on the possibilities and on the, on the, on the idea of taking, uh, an electric motorcycle, any electric motorcycle on a long journey. And so ever, I mean, ever since that day, I was thinking about it and I got, I think it took like one week before I just phoned the newspaper. I, uh, we, we just talk about like, let's test this uh, motorcycle on a, a, not an extremely long journey but something that's doable and something that's exotic on, at the same time that would be publishable and that would be just appealing to people and also include some adventure for me and and so on so i mean uh, i have friends in istanbul and i have friends along the road and for me it was like let's see this is doable when i calculate in two two and a half months i could just go and do it during the holidays uh, of my studies 
And if I just could get it published, then it would somehow maybe zero motorcycles would lend me the bike so I can do this journey. That was that was the set off. I, th- I think a week later even. So, so it took about one week after your test ride. You came up with the idea and then you contacted the dealer and said, hey, I think I'm gonna take a two and a half month trip. Will you give me a bike? Is that basically how it went? <laughs> it was a bit more complicated than, than that. It took a bit longer. But um, I, what I basically did was calling to the, new, the main newspaper in Belgium. And since I have, I have a book to my name together with, with my ex-girlfriend, I have right. many articles. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not falling from the sky. I mean, people know a little bit who I am. In motorcycle world, they had covered my journeys to some extent. And this one uh, general newspaper had published articles on Iran just shortly before that. And Gaia was publishing regularly. She's a journalist and a writer. And so, I mean, I had access. And I called this one person and I told them, like, this is what I want to do. I want to go to Istanbul and back. Would you publish it? And he didn't even have to call back or anything. He just replied immediately. He said, that's an amazing ID. So the, news, just, so the newspaper said yes, and then right away you called the dealer or zero and said, listen, I've got a newspaper that's willing to publish this. Uh, can you give me a bike for two and a half months? <laughs> I tried. I tried to. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how. I mean, you need to have some. I mean, this this you, you need to give something in exchange if you want to borrow a, a, a motorcycle for such a long time, of course. And and so I contacted the main um, zero uh, company in in Holland at first. First through a long email, then I just called them and I called them back, and they were like. And they were they were interested, but very reluctant. They somehow they said, "Yeah, you know, we get offers like this quite often, but your idea is like the best we had so far." That that's one of the reasons I asked you is because as as Liza, myself, and other people that contact Zero know, <laughs> for every three hundred people that contact Zero, one might get an email back. You know, so uh, you must have come up with the right idea that they liked because. They uh, like like you just said. They they have thousands of people that just call them up and email them saying, "Hey, listen, if you give me a, a bike, I'll go ride it and talk about it." And you know they just can't respond to everybody that says that. So, um, but you got their attention somehow. So congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you. I also insisted. You know, I'm, I'm once I'm on an idea, I I I, I don't want. I am. I'm persistent because if if I like it, if I'm passionate enough about a specific idea, any any idea, I just yeah. I'm I'm not intrusive, but I just I just try to convince people because I really think it's a very good plan, and I really thought I had a very good plan, and I knew what I was doing. I mean, my well, offer was let, a let, great offer. Let's fast forward. Okay, so you, you got him to get you a bike. Let's talk about the actual trip. Like, Well, hold on, because here's what's interesting. Terry, before you did one of your big trips, you were able to test the bike, and you kind of knew right. what the math was. So, Truy, you didn't have much time to to become familiar with the bike and its limits, did you? I had two days. <laughs> okay, so wow. two days. So let's cover some math. And so how far, we, let's use kilometers since 
I'm guessing you use kilometers, not miles. How far um, can you go on one charge, typically? Um, on this journey, but I, I had no I, I had no clue the first day, oh, I, but oh, on, I, on, I, I just had the paper. I mean, I had just had the figures on on the website. That was what right. I had. So how did how far did you find it? You could typically typically travel in a day. Um, up to like if I would be riding slow enough, like between forty and fifty kilometers an hour, which is like uh, uh, the speed you drive through like you ride 30, through town. 30, yeah. Um, this would take me uh, about 240, 250 kilometers, and that was the absolute maximum. I just ha had one record of 273 kilometers in one day, but I had a tailwind. And and just so everybody knows, that's not with any charging along the way. I mean, you're not stopping and fast charging at charging stations, right? This is just, this is what the battery had in it from the beginning of the day till, till right. the end. Right. I'm trying to paint a picture. So you said about 230 kilometers. So Terry and we're, we're talking miles, about 150, 160, 150, miles. 60 miles. Now, how long did you find it took to recharge it fully? It took a long time. Uh, it's about yeah, 13 to 14 hours because I had an, um, I must say that the Zero DS that I had had a power tank added to it. So it's not a standard, I mean, it's a standard G, um, DS, but you can buy this option of adding one extra battery. I'll explain to everybody what that is real quick if you want, to. The, the standard bike comes with a monolith with just basically four cell boxes, and the power tank is a single cell box that you actually put in the fake gas tank area. So you, you end up having 25% more range because it gives you an extra, you have five batteries instead of four. Or you can turn it up to 11. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's one one thing I didn't add, and I think it's it's it is important before I even left, because I didn't in the end get the motorcycle from from the company. I, I they refused, right? And they refused for two reasons, and I I, I still think it's important to say, because I I owe my uh, dealership all the credits for this journey. Uh, because zero didn't let me guess they didn't think you're gonna be able to make it exactly they don't that's because lots of people do try to do stuff and then they get it and they aren't able to so congratulations to you for being able to prove them wrong but there's a reason why they are hesitant because but but anyway go ahead yeah I mean afterwards and especially after talking to you Terry I understood much better why they were so reluctant because I mean they're very they're still very tiny they're they're fighting against the the huge motorcycle companies and they're they're still like it's still new and they still have to fight for a lot of the things that I mean they're still not on the safe side to say so so the reluctancy came from two things first of all the they weren't they weren't doubting my capacities that that was the real, the real funny thing. They were doubting the motorcycle capacity. Right. Well, like you said, you were riding around, what is it, uh, 40 or 50 kilometers or, or 50 or 60 kilometers per hour, you said. But let me tell you, lots of motorcycle journalists, 
you know, in, in our miles per hour, they want to ride at like 70 or 80 miles per hour, which I think like 120 or 130 kilometers per hour. And you don't get to go too far if you're going that fast. And so what it leaves is the journalist very disappointed and then he writes about it. And that happened in 2010, 11, 12. Uh, there were lots of negative articles that were written from journalists that asked for bikes from zero and zero gave them bikes. So you can understand why they were hesitant to, um, you know, continue down that path. But, you know. So a lot of people would say doing about 150 miles a day and your total distance, what you had about 1300 miles to cover, like um, 2100 kilometers, maybe. Uh, I, in total from Belgium to Istanbul and back, yes. you mean? And just one way to, to Istanbul. Uh, 4,000 kilometers about. Okay. So, so I had 8,000 in total, but I didn't take the straight roads. I mean, I took sideways, I took extra roads, I, I took detours. So so it normally it, it should be, I don't know how much, but this was about uh, 7,800 if, if I'm not wrong. So a lot of people would be frustrated with that math of how great of distance you have to go and how little mileage you can cover each day but you kind of found something maybe you didn't expect you found a little bonus to that in having to spend time in each of these places didn't you yeah i actually i knew from the very start that this was going to be how it was going to be i mean this was i mean this was the setup this was the the, the deal I knew my distances wouldn't be as, you know, on a fuel bike, you can just fill up and continue if you're not tired and you can cover. But I wouldn't, on a typical journey, I mean, I have covered everything from 20 kilometers in a day to 900 kilometers in a day. It all depends so much on what happens on the temp temperature, on the surface that you're riding on. So a tip, let's say an average would be something like 300, 350 if you're riding in, in, in European on tarmac. But this time, I knew this would be the limit. This would be the, the, the edge of the thing. So it would be 200, 250 kilometers. So this, I, I took it, I switched my mind to that. And it just meant that I was stopping more often, staying for the night, and thus meeting more people. And, and so the charging becomes part of the journey rather than an inconvenience. It exactly. adds to the journey because that's when you meet the people and that's when you have to make the stops. Well, there's some, I'll tell you, there's something to say for that. I, I, uh, I know exactly what you mean, Truy. When I first tried to cross on the 2012, I had a 40-mile range. And so you stop and you charge and you end up talking to people. And as soon as I got done with that first trip, I'm like, you know, I want to do this again because it attracts people, motorcyclists, to come up to you and say, what the heck is that? You know, and, and you get to talk to people and it's great. So I totally, I totally understand why you really enjoyed that you know, sort of forced stopping in a way, you know, what, what is a limitation of the motorcycle actually becomes advantageous 
socially yeah to the travel exactly that's what i like about that well and you even spoke i think at one point about how people are intrigued and kind of they're curious they they don't look at it like a gasoline engine i know we were talking to uh you know some guys i think they were riding the alta bikes up in portland and they started doing some hooligan stuff off, off you know a loading dock and things like that and they said the business owner came out and looked at him and they said in the past the guy would have yelled at him or called the police but because they were electric bikes he was fascinated and had a big smile on his face right so I think you know beyond that the electric bike is even more able to bridge that gap even better absolutely absolutely I totally agree with with I mean I've been riding through woods and like small walking paths and of course you don't you don't race along those paths and I mean you're you're um, an adult you just behave when there's horses and bicycles and and walkers around but when you arrive on on a fuel bike it's always somehow even if you're riding slowly it's always annoying it's always interrupting and on electric motorcycles it just generates smiles all around and and curiosity and that's very easy to figure out because if you were to interview non-motorcycling people about, okay, let's talk about these hooligans on motorbikes. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that annoys you the most? You're going to get a single answer, the noise. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned horses because I go riding down to the vetter sometimes and there's horses on the paths and the horses ride right next to me. They don't freak out or anything. But when Craig used to even just take his, you know, little Honda Helix scooter, just the, the percussion coming out the tailpipe bothers right. the horses, you know. So it's, uh-huh. it's kind of interesting. You're taking paths like that and, you know, they probably don't even bother. You're not bothering them at all. You know? So I want to I want to make sure we cover. So did you complete the trip? I did. I did very well. Yes, yes, yes. I did. Um, I, I took about exactly the time that I, I thought I would, two and a half months. But that means that I was, like, I stopped for a week in Bosnia. I stopped for 10 days in Istanbul. I stopped uh, sometimes a couple of days along the road as, as when I met people or when I met when I was staying with friends. So, I mean, it was... I could have done it in a shorter time. I think I could have done it in five weeks or something, but I took the time that I, I wanted to take and, and just take a leisure, uh, leisure pleasure journey. Spider attack inside the garage. <laughs> The there was a spider crawling right above Hold Jim's on. head. So sorry, just, Troy. Just dropped. This is another misfit interruption. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed a big spider crawling above Jim's head, and I pointed it out to him, and he poked it, and it dropped down on him. <laughs> so I immediately freaked out and started rubbing myself all over Emma. And I got excited because men so seldom rub themselves against me. <laughs> You know, it's a wonder you why never, no one takes us serious. You never should have pointed it. I would have been happily knowing that spider was not above my head. I was trying to prevent exactly what just happened. Well, I was trying to ease it. I wanted to scooch it along because we do like spiders, just not The saddest us. thing, this is not the first time. How many weeks ago was it when we're happily recording? And Liza goes, there is a giant rat crawling across the beam above your head. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> and the occasional possum. Sometimes it's possum, sometimes dogs. But all right, Truly, back okay, back back to the uh, back to the trip. Sorry about that. What 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 was what was the longest stretch that you had where there was no electricity and you knew? Were you ever thinking, you know, I may not be able to make it from this point to this point because there may be no place to plug in at all. Like like I know when I crossed, I couldn't, the first time I tried, I could not cross West Texas because it's like a 400 mile desert, you know? Um, did you have anything like that on your trip to, to Istanbul and back? Actually, not at all because I mean, I crossed, there's no deserts there to start with, but um, there's a few stretches with very little housing or none but they're quite short. I mean, I, in Albania, there was a stretch of about 100 kilometers off off road, and through like a little bit like the back door into Albania. But I knew that beforehand, and 100 kilometers is not a problem at all. And you know, with this electric motorcycles, you can just plug in anywhere. I could plug in in an Albanian farm. I could uh, stop at any campsite. I could even plug into a Turkish uh, tea shop. So I mean, anywhere with a housing, there's electricity. It's another matter if you're talking further on, if you're talking Tajikistan, some parts of Pakistan, some parts of India, some parts of China, then you're looking at some distances like 800 or even 1000 kilometers where there's virtually none or, or very little, like just like solar panels to, to make a radio working. Right. And that's a different matter. But on this journey, there was none of that. So basically, you're saying anywhere that there was a light bulb on, you knew you could charge the motorcycle. Exactly. Exactly. Um, can I ask uh, you, Truy, what was sure. the strangest place that you got electricity from for your trip? Oh, good question. You know, I mean, did you ever have to ask a person, can I charge my bike up using your house? Oh, I did many times. Um, of course, I stayed with friends also. So one sure. time, I was staying in Belgrado, in in the um, capital of of Serbia, and these friends of mine are living on the third floor, and the motorcycle <laughs> was <laughs> the motorcycle was parked right next to the building in like a little alley. And what we did was we found I have a, a ten meter extension uh, cable. And we got another two of those, and we just plugged in next to the fridge in their kitchen and just let the, the extension cord down the three floors down to the motorcycle and charged that way. And that was how it worked, and it worked perfectly fine. But then there was another time, there was another time that I ended up, uh, I, I just crossed into Turkey, and I wanted to get to... I didn't want to take the main road to Istanbul because I know that's like full of trucks, it's a lot of traffic, and I certainly didn't want to go on highway. But even on the parallel way, there was a lot of traffic. So I took another even smaller road, and then I was going south expecting to find some sort of camping site or B&B &B or something. And it was already like slowly getting a little bit, I mean, it was towards the evening. And I just 
couldn't find lodging and I hadn't planned anything, I hadn't booked anything and I was surprised because I had been traveling that stretch before and in my memory there were some camping sites or at least a small, small things and I just couldn't find anything. And all of, and I realized that I had, I think I had something like 15 kilometers uh, to, um, um, energy, energy for, for electricity for 15 kilometers. And that's very, very limited. And but you made I, I, no, I didn't actually. Oh, no. I didn't. I mean, I, I had these 15 kilometers and I just kept riding further and further. And it was getting like getting a little bit darker and the villages were gone. And I was like, whoa, OK, this is I it. mean, it's not. a Yeah, I mean, it's not a problem to camp. But if you cannot charge, I mean, you right. cannot when you, go when you wake up, you can't go. So you thought that there was a campsite somewhere along the way and you just couldn't find it. Exactly. Okay. I mean, I, I thought there would be a few. I didn't go to a specific so, camping site. So what happened? So all of a sudden, I decided to go to the first, the closest village that I could find. So I looked on my GPS and I just pinpointed one tiny village, and I I rode up. It was a little bit on a, on a hillside. And like all Turkish villages, they have a tea a, a tea shop, a tea cafe, or how do you call it? Like, a, like yeah, a tea shop, at the heart of the village, and it was full, full of men, of course, drinking drinking tea and chatting away in the evening, and it was warm and so on. So I all of a sudden this alien descends on them. On, on ah. a, I love it. On a silent motorcycle. And on top of that, it's a woman. <laughs> Wait, so so the bike, you rode the bike there? Or did you have to push it to the tea shop? No, 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 no. I had I had still some, some yeah, 10 okay. kilometers there. Okay, okay. So, so I was, my idea was to go there and ask them if they knew something very close by. Because I couldn't find it on, on a map, on the GPS, nowhere. So I just drove it there. Of course, nobody spoke English or, or even German or Italian or French or any other language that I know. So we just ended up with hands, hands and feet and maps and so on. And I explained to them that actually the first thing I did was buying a tea. And the second thing I did was asking if I could charge and and just getting out my plug. And of course, the whole tea shop ran out and came to see this very strange motorcycle and this very strange foreigner, a woman, all of a sudden showing up in their village, like no tourists at all. This was like in the middle of nowhere. And so what happened next was they allowed me to plug in. That was no problem at all. And they understood that this was for charging batteries. They quickly got the picture. And then they just gave, started giving advice. The Turkish are very keen, especially the men. They're very keen on giving you the best advice they can find. And they're very patriarchal society. So they were telling me, yes, you know, 50 kilometers south, there's this camping site is very good. And I said, 50 kilometers? I mean, I can ride 10. And then another one, yeah, you know, 30 kilometers that way. And I said, nah, 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 you don't get it. I mean, I have 10 so while kilometers. they're telling you all this, you're, you're plugged into the tea shop, though, at least charging up a little bit while they're telling you advice, right? Exactly. But okay. I mean... 
So the longer they talk, your distance of where you can go is increasing. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, it's still slow charging, so it wasn't going very, very fast. So in the end, all of a sudden, there shows up a man, and he points to the back of his his small moped, and he said, come, 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 come with me. And we drove up this hill, and there's this, this, um, like, restaurant type of thing, and all of a sudden, there were Turkish people uh, living in Switzerland, speaking fluent Italian and I was able to explain my little problem that I had and they just invited me over and invited me over to pitch my tent in their garden eat with them and leave the next day and charge all night and that was the solution to the day great that's awesome so it seems like as you're going on this travel that a lot of people are experiencing an electric motorcycle or maybe an electric vehicle for the first time I'm curious what is it like in the rest of Europe? Let's just focus on on Europe. How prominent are the electric motorcycles there now? And what are some of the brands that maybe we're not familiar with? Um, I, th- I think if we're looking around in Belgium, forget it. I mean, there's very few. There's, I don't know how many, but maybe 30 or 40 in the whole country. In France, it's very difficult. They have a few uh, police uh, officer riding around Paris uh, too. I think they have two zero DSs as uh, a police bike in the city of Paris, and they have put an order for some fifteen or twenty new zeros for next year. So they're very very keen on having more electric motorcycles in the police force. Um, then in Holland, it's becoming bigger and bigger, especially also the, the, the cars are, are getting on and the motorcycles sort of follow in that tail. In Germany, I have very, very few um, contacts in Germany and I have very little idea about, uh, idea about what's happening there. But one of the countries that's very keen on electric motorcycles is Switzerland. Mm, right. And, they have the money also and they have the the mindset i think and so zeros are a bigger thing there and they have this austrian brand that uh, yeah some of my friends in in switzerland have these uh, joe hammers have you heard of them oh yeah they've got that like that curved front that looks like uh almost looks like a snail you know? it, is, it is. It looks like an insect, and it's an attention, an eye catcher you cannot imagine. You pull out this bike, you put like, we had on the electric nitride, we had some uh, 55 electric motorcycles and one Joe Hammer, and everybody was staring at this Joe Hammer. How do you spell Joe Hammer so we can look that up? <laughs> G-O-M, no, uh, Joe J- Hammer. J. Uh, Johan? Uh, G O H E double M E R. I think it's I think it's J. I don't know if you're saying G is J, but J J J J. Sorry, J O H O double M E R. Right. So so the the electric night ride. Real quick, t- tell us about how you got 55 electric motorcycles to gather together all in one place in Europe. Yeah, this sounds amazing. Yeah, I all of a sudden I thought. I mean, I, I was getting in touch, and I was getting getting in touch internationally with, with you, Terry, with people across. After this journey, people started contacting me and asking about these 
motorcycles and also people from Holland, from France, from from all over. I mean, this this community of electric motorcycles is very international, much more than it's local because there's simply not enough motorcycles around. So it's an online community, a strong online community. And through this, I sort of saw that there was a network of uh, yeah, quite a few electric motorcycles in like within uh, a parameter of a diameter of, of maybe 200, 300 kilometers. And I decided to give it a go and organize uh, the idea that I got from Hollywood Electrics to organize a night ride on electric motorcycles. So you- and at the same time, get people new to electric motorcycles to ride for a night on one of these rent bikes. So you... Hold on. Charger has a question. Charger's like, (laughs) the door is open. Emma just went out. Why can I not go outside too? Um, But anyway, Charger, you're going to have to... uh, I might have to break here for a second, put it in the back. So I've got a question. So you have... So you organized this that was last year that you had that ride? Yeah, yeah. And in, you have uh, a do you have another one scheduled for this year? I do. I do because it was such it was a great event and people have loved it and and people just immediately after this they asked when is going to be the next one next month. And I was like, I mean, no way. I mean, I can't I can't get this organized within the next month and also because um I wanted it to be a, sort of like an international and a quite unique event so that it would get enough press coverage because it's not uh, not only about the people attending it but it's also about getting visibility for electric motorcycles and then you cannot do this every month I mean I wouldn't get so many people and I certainly wouldn't get the press there and I also thought this would be a good uh, concept just to to internationalize it and take it another like do it every year and maybe the next time in another country and one option was in Paris and uh, we talked th- this through with a motorcycle policeman and there was a few pros and a few contrasts and finally I ended up uh, doing it with a team in Switzerland it's gonna be in Luzerne on 16 September and it's going to be awesome because they have a few incredibly good ideas. So, and how many bikes do you expect this time? I hope to 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 beat the, my own record, of course. I hope to beat the 55. And I'm pretty sure we will because in Switzerland alone, there's there's much more than 55 electric motorcycles and of course germany is not far france is not far italy is not far and already i know of some five or six people coming from holland and belgium going to switzerland hey uh true i got one um last question for you and then i think jim's got something to ask you but um where where do you see the future of electric motorcycling going in europe like do you plan do you see yourself trying to take another trip and are you going to use charging for that one or do you like the pace that you're currently on and um just tell us your thoughts on that um well it's one thing about my own future on electrics uh, on electric motorcycles that's one thing the future of electric motorcycling in europe in general 
is going to be a hard one. That's my opinion, because um, it's taking it's going much slower than the cars. It's going much slower than the electric bicycles, because it's it's uh, uh, motorcycles are still in Europe, in Western Europe at least. They're a, a luxury thing, and I don't know if you. The range is still limited. The price is still higher than a fuel bike. The charging stations for fast charging in Belgium, at least, are few and far between. In Holland, it's much better. In Germany, it's taking taking on. So, I'm not. It will go slowly. It still hasn't get gotten the boost that it that I thought it would have taken. It's getting little by little, but it's going slowly, and it will take time. So I'm—I I don't know. I'm not sure. It's not taking a boom, and it will not take a boom in the first five years. Is my maybe too pessimistic? I hope it's too pessimistic an idea. I—I'm right there with you. I understand the same same problems. Back in 2012, when I rode my first Zero, I said, man, this is amazing. By next year, I think almost everybody that buys a motorcycle is going to buy a Zero. And then reality hit me, and I was like, man, actually, it's going to take a lot longer than I thought. Because of the things you mentioned, it's they cost more, the charging's not everywhere, and the range isn't, you know, some people think it's still not far enough for them, and for some people it isn't. But, you know, here in the States, in the big cities, for lots of people, it, it does. They just um, they need to kind of give it a chance to see that it really does suffice their needs. But people are people are still afraid of what they don't know. So, yeah, but it, it's it's exciting to have people like you, Terry, and and you, Truy, who are going out there and pushing the boundaries and discovering not just the limits, but the rewards because right. of those limits. So. I mean, it's still something. It's it's pretty cool, and it's a very fascinating time in history that we're at because the technology is happening very fast. So it's a period where people like you two can go out there and do something that no one has done. No, and, we, and in a few years, anyone may be able to do it. I think it's absolutely fascinating, and I think the success of Truy's trip and the success of Terry's lifestyle with electric vehicles is... You you have to change your perception of what a, your journey is going to be. If you can, if you start out comparing your journey, well, this is what my journey was like on a gasoline bike, and I expect it to be the same on an electric bike. That's when you're going to come up short. If you plan your journey as a complete new experience, including the stops, that's the success. Right and exactly. Truly, how how can people follow your 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 travels and and find out more about what you've uh, already accomplished? I think the easiest is just the hashtag #electrogirl, and then they'll find everything in Google. That's me, <laughs> an electrogirl, electrogirl with a K, and all that comes out. That's me. Also, my name, my Tre Hanul, is a unique combination and. I'm very fortunate not to live in Turkey, not to live in Russia, for instance. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I would not be able to hide uh, because the internet would show me all the time. And, and I'm just curious because on your Facebook page, it's listed under Chewy Hussein Hanul. So mm -hmm. what is the Hussein from? 
that's an American thing. <laughs> that, that's what I said. I said, Hussein's got to be an American thing. It's the only thing that makes sense. What? <laughs> <laughs> you, you are, you're like an enigma. This is amazing. Wait, wait, wait. You'll hear oh, this story. Wait a minute. Does this have anything to do with Obama? Yes. What? No. <laughs> okay. Yes. Please explain. <laughs> So at the very first time before Obama was elected, the very first time, there was all of a sudden this hate campaign um, because his middle name is Hussein. Mm -hmm. And Facebook in Europe had just caught on, had just started sort of. And all of a sudden there was this campaign to change your middle name to Hussein in support of this crazy idea that, idea that this would change his uh, um, abilities to become a president and so many many people changed their middle name to Hussein and of course after he was elected everybody took it out again and I just I mean I thought it looked great <laughs> and it really suited my my name and it was and it, I just left it there for a while and then I was also doing these journeys and I had done this journey, so there was a Muslim connection to it anyhow. And it was also a bit of a, a trigger. It was a conversation starter. It was, um, I was just challenging people for discussions on on Muslim topics. So, I mean, and I kept it up to now and I will not change it anymore because I think there's so many issues now coming to the fore that have to do with Islam, with the Middle East, with politics in general. So now I, I've adopted this name as being mine, though I'm not religious at all, and I have nothing to do with, with the uh, Prophet Hussein, but I keep it there in support of my uh, Muslim friends, for instance. Well, I think that's awesome. And, and, and I, yeah, wanted, that's cool. Way cool. I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for coming on our podcast and sharing your story. And I'm ho hoping, you. do you have any plans to come out this way anytime? Yes, I do. Yeah. Cool. Can you say about yeah. when? Yeah, well, um, I'm not sure if, I, I, I'm not very sure. I, I told a friend this afternoon, it's very strange. My life is always uh, taking new directions and I could not tell uh, half a year from now where exactly I will be but all the time it's fascinating it's new and some incredible things come up but some plans you have to keep in your mind like a bit sideways and of course there's I, I want to travel again as soon as my studies are over which is end of next year in 2018-2019 I'm thinking about the next journey, and this next journey will be electric, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. And I want to, uh, we have written a book in 2007, and there has been an offer from a publishing company to write another book on, like, the, the do the same journey again, but then extend it and go further. And so Gaia and I, my ex-girlfriend and I, will, that's almost certain, will start another journey in 2019. She might go on a fuel bike, I might go on an electric motorcycle, 
and then we'll at we'll start from the door from Belgium. We'll ride to Singapore. That's the first idea. Then we might continue or might not continue. So at some point, maybe I cross the ocean, and then next step is Santa Cruz. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I think an electric bike night might be in order, Terry. Uh, what oh, do you think? I, I think we could get plenty to to come for Electric Girl coming up here. That's yeah, for sure. we'll, we'll set a record. That's awesome. Awesome. Definitely, we're looking forward to that. And I think it's yeah, planning now for a trip that far in advance. I think, I think a lot of the metrics are going to change by then. And exactly. Um, there may be even more people doing it by then so that's awesome thank you very much for coming on here um yeah we're gonna follow you and it's nice to have just another friend out there in the world that you know i feel like is somehow a part of what we do here our garage and it's you know when you're telling your story about uh, just from early on when r- motorcycles came on your radar and getting your first bike, it sounded a lot like my story. So I was feeling like some simpatico, you know, there. I thought, this is really cool. There's people like us out there in the world, and we're finding each other through this medium. So you know, that's cool. You know what, Liza? Truy's a misfit. Yes. For sure. <laughs> you, you are a misfit, <laughs> Truy, and I mean that in the best possible way. You're one of us, honey. I am. I am. I'm a misfit electro girl. <laughs> nice. You've been a fabulous guest. Thank Great. you very, very much. And thank you for the honor of asking me because uh, I, I didn't realize. Uh, I mean, I know about a few podcasts, but I know that yours is one a big one and it's and many people listen to it. And I'm very honored and proud to be in your emissions. Oh, I appreciate that. And it's it's a perfect opportunity to say thanks to all of our listeners who've uh, who stuck with us. And, you know, I hope you appreciate when we're bringing you flavor from around the world for all these amazing people out there. So, yeah, I just want to remind our listeners that you can leave a message. You can call us. You can email us. Bring us to our attention more people out there we would love to interview them just like truy there's so many cool people out there and i just keep discovering more and more and more and it's so fun that that you know we can be we can be a part of each other so on that note thank you truy for coming i think we're ready to wrap up motorcycles and misfits.com is where you'll find the links to everything to email us to call us to buy a t-shirt and i will put a note um, a link in the show notes so you can uh find true and learn more about what she's doing and if you're out there in europe and you're interested in electric and you want to go be a part of this all electric meetup do contact her it's really, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. So on that note, wrapping up, this is Liza. Electric Terry, go electric, ride with your pup and carry 280 beer bottles. This is Emma Darling. Just Naked Jim. This is Trehanul. Goodbye. Yay! Yay! Thank you very much. We're out of here. Cool, cool. cool.